Hey there! Are you a crime scene investigator, law enforcement officer, or forensic scientist looking for a Facebook community that understands you? Check out Taction USA's forensic product groups. You'll find blogs, articles, information, and community. For those of us in the investigative field, there are not many lines of support out there, but Taction USA is a company that was founded by law enforcement for law enforcement. Subscribe today to get access to exclusive content. Just look for Taction USA in Facebook groups. Hello, everyone. Speak. Hmm. That's not how I do that either. <laughs> Hello, everyone, and welcome once again to Crossing the Tape, episode 22. I'm Brendan. And I'm Hillary. And today we ask you to sign the crime scene log, and please join us for a terrible story. Yes, it's, it's very sad. <laughs> so, this case has half of a of a conclusion. Better than none. <laughs> right. And although no arrest was ever made, there are high suspicions regarding who the killer may have been. Sadly, we will never know. However, the story is one that I have never heard of. Me neither. And if nothing else, we can cover the case so the victims won't be forgotten. Yes. Because there are many, many. And it's sad that there was never justice. Yes. But we'll, without giving anything away, we'll explain why there wasn't right. necessarily the justice that we... Right. seek in a case like this. So between 1980 and 1991, 12 men and boys went missing. Each victim was killed and their bodies were strewn across I-70 throughout the Midwest. Each victim had something in common. They were all young males, mostly boys and young men who were last seen at gay bars or other like establishments. Each of these victims were picked up within a four block radius of each other. <laughs> And this location was somewhere around Indianapolis. All victims were found naked or with very little clothing and had been strangled. Each body site was along Interstate 70, but all in rural areas. Yeah. So the bodies weren't really covered or hidden from my understanding, but they were kind Dumped of... Dumped somewhere where you might have a few minutes yeah. between passing cars to right. push somebody out or whatever. It took three people being killed... Until a designated task force was finally formed. Which, to me, three that were similar, that's what it took. Right. I mean, after, you know? I mean, one is a murder investigation. Right. Two is awfully suspicious. But to, to take your entire detective squad... Three times to, to on decide? The, on the third one to take the squad and say, all right, from now on, until we figure this out, you guys are right. focused solely on this. I don't think three is... I think that's about right. That's not too high a bar. Because two that are so similar, now you're concerned that there's a serial killer. But it could be a copycat. Somebody read about it in the paper. That kind of thing. But on the third one, yeah, that's when... From this point, we need all hands on this investigation. So the task force was made up of eight officers from the Indianapolis Police Department. And it was formed in 1982. Once they found the next victim, the following year they realized that four other men who had been found in the same area and had been killed in the same manner may have actually been additional victims. Okay, so that's 
<laughs> now that's a little less defensible. Yes. That there had already been four people killed that's, similarly. Yeah. That was a bit of my point. That, uh, that the third one yeah. was actually the seventh. Yes. And now there's eight. But, twist. Yes, there's a twist. So not only were all the victims young men, but they were also gay men found in a similar way. Mm-hmm. The task force brought in an FBI profiler since the murders were similar in nature and had a signature. And we've talked a little bit about signature and MO before. Yes. Um, Please refresh. So an MO is more, I guess the strangulation would be the MO because mm-hmm. that's the man, that's how they were killed. Right. That's the method. But yes, but a signature is something that is usually a serial criminal, usually a hot love. Serial a, killer. Yes. Yeah. A killer will add to their scene or to the body that has nothing to do with the actual death. Right. It's incidental. So, yes. So, for instance, if they put, you know, a red rose on the body, that's a signature. Right. They didn't use the red rose to kill them. Right. Um, their calling card, essentially, right. is their signature. So, because there were so... And I think in this case, and we'll get into it a little more, I think there were a lot of signatures on each body, in mm-hmm. a sense, that... You know, the strangulation was the M.O., but the signature might have been that they were all naked. Right, they were just about all completely naked. Yeah. Um, So I couldn't find anything else about a specific, you know, they left, um, you know. Draw something on their body. Yeah, there wasn't like a a logo or something left, but I think that's where they're... I think that's what they're saying the signature is. Left in a place like that. Yes. Naked. Was yes. Kind of what because the, the place be. and being naked didn't cause the death. Right. So the FBI profiler determined the suspect. Oh, and before we get into that, he did go into some other. Um, he looked into those other victims mm-hmm. that they the, thought. The four victims that they realized were probably right. attributed to the same. They figured out they were not. It was a separate killer. But the killer we are talking about, the FBI profiler determined, was approximately 45 years old. Mm -hmm. Somewhat wealthy, or at least had a job that paid well. They also figured he was most likely respected among his peers. And was married, but did not have a sexual relationship with his wife. Super weird. I mean, I guess given naked gay young men Mm -hmm. being involved wouldn't lead you to believe that but bananas that looking at this group of victims Mm -hmm. they can determine well this is a dude who has a wife but they don't uh, get intimate anymore right so this most likely was because of his attraction to young men and it was suspected by the fbi that he felt guilty for this and probably killed young men because he felt ashamed that he couldn't be himself Mm -hmm. so he himself was probably gay, did not feel comfortable with it, or at least, you know, felt like he couldn't be himself. Right. He was that, married, he, you know. In that time and in, in that, that time location. Right. He probably felt that coming out yeah. would be a death sentence for him. Right. But, sadly, he took out his frustration on those who were themselves. Yeah. And who were trying to be comfortable with him in the same way. Yes. We'll get to that. So, before we jump into, we're going to go into just about every victim and their deaths. Mm -hmm. So you can see the string of similarities. But before we get into each victim, 
we will have a word from the National Investigative Training Academy. If you are looking for a career change or to expand your knowledge in an already established one, look no further than the National Investigative Training Academy. The National Investigative Training Academy, or NIDA, N-I-T-A, has well over 100 courses with 70 professional development ones alone. NIDA is constantly adding to their course catalog, and courses are focused on private investigation and security fields. Whether you would like to become a private investigator or you need continuing education for your investigative or security career, the National Investigative Training Academy is for you. All courses offered are 100% online and do at your own pace. Once completed, you will receive a certificate in that course. Sign up today at investigativeacademy.com. Make sure when you sign up for your courses, you mention we sent you there. We encourage you to get the best investigative and security training possible today. When you sign up, mention our brand ambassador code, BA2367. That's BA2367, and you can find those courses at investigativeacademy.com. Look for links in our show notes as well. So the manner in which these victims were killed was devastating, and the way their bodies were left in the elements was extremely disrespectful. So just looking at all the research when I was researching this episode, it was very clear that the killer did not care. No. I mean... Which is just... Sounds funny to say. Right. Obviously he didn't care about the victims, but... But the, it's it's clear he just he threw them away. Yeah, it's another level know? of disregard yes. for their humanity. Yeah. The first victim was Michael Hetry, who was only 15 years old. He was found naked and strangled in Hamilton County, Indiana, in June of 1980. Though he was a child, he was a known male prostitute and spent much of his time around gay bars. He was first reported missing during the first week of June... However, eyewitnesses saw him a few days later in an unknown vehicle with an unknown individual. His death must have not have occurred not long after the sighting. Toxicology reports did not show any trace of drugs or alcohol in his system either, mm-hmm. meaning he went willingly. Yeah. Um, and we'll we'll get into it more later. But it's there's an aspect of this case that's also interesting to me, because there were also always eyewitnesses. Yeah, from the research I did many times, well, we saw him leave this bar with some guy. Right. But they what, were seen and then never seen again. But what I don't understand is nothing was ever connected mm-hmm. from one eyewitness to the other. Until there much was, later. Yes. But from the onset, it, yeah. it's very prevalent that it This it killer was seen repeatedly. Yes. But it was never, like, put together, is what I'm trying to say. I found that interesting and sad. The second victim was Maurice Taylor, and he was 23 years old. He was found shirtless in July of 1982, also in Hamilton County, in a creek near Atlanta. It was not abundantly clear the cause of death, perhaps, due to decomposition. It was summer, and he was near a creek, so you've got moisture. Right, and heat. Yes, and heat. But the coroner suspected he was also strangled. Taylor was a known vagrant. He he usually resided in the boiler room of an apartment building, and he often offered sexual favors to earn money. He was never reported missing because his mother was in a mental home, and that's the only kin he had. And that's a huge bummer. Yeah, because he was uh, he was one of the only ones also that was never reported missing. Mm-hmm. 
Um, I did a quick search of the weather that month in 1982. And, of course, it's July and everything. Right. But the average temperature was 86 degrees, so that could have accelerated the decomposition, mm-hmm. which is why they couldn't tell exactly right. how he, he died. He been there very long, but he right. was deteriorating quickly. So the third victim was Deloyd Baker, and this young man was only 14. He was found near a river in the same county, partially clothed. Baker was last seen the night of October 2nd downtown. He was seen going into a blue van with a white man who had a large mustache. And see, that's good that they at least had yeah, the they, color. They noted something. Of the it's a white dude. Of the well, in the color of the van, you know, the color of the van, van, and they've got a little more detail. Mm-hmm. Um, Baker had been riding his bike, and at 10 p.m. he called his parents to tell them he would be home after seeing a movie. This alarmed his parents, and they wondered about the situation because they also knew he didn't have any money with him. Mm-hmm. So they probably thought he was sneaking into the movie. Kid. Yeah. Yeah. What's he doing? What's he? Really up to. Right. Eyewitnesses stated he had been seen also with a 16-year-old friend. Mm -hmm. And over the last few months, they had been going to gay bars and were prostituting themselves, earning $70 per night in today's money. Jeez. Some investigators did not think he was killed by the same suspect due to his race. However, everything else matched the suspect's M.O. And it was at this point that the authorities created that task force we talked about. Mm Mm-hmm. The next victim was Michael Riley, and he was 22. He was last seen with an unknown male at a nightclub on May 28th of 1983. Keep this in mind for next time, because it becomes important. Yes, the Riley sighting. Yeah. We'll talk he about was, that again later. Yeah. Or next time. He was, yes. <laughs> he was naked and in a ditch in Hancock County, and found on June 5th, 1983. He was also strangled, but this was the first death they were able to determine the victim was strangled with a towel or piece of cloth. Mm. So before, I don't think they knew. Yeah, because some manner of strangulation. Yeah, because if it had been with their like manual strangulation is with your hands. Right. There would have been marks. Yes, the and marks and bruising of a certain kind that's indicative with hands. Mm. Victim five was Eric Rodiger. He was last seen on May 7th of 1985. It's interesting the killer did not kill for an entire year. Yeah, it took a, I thought, it's strange that there's a yeah, little bit of a break. Because it's, everything is so consistent with, and he seems to do it like spring, and spring, summer, fall. Like mm-hmm. there's always one, two, three, that kind of thing. Mm-hmm. So it's interesting that a, an entire year went by. and That also you know, leaves the possibility that the killer was active somewhere else mm-hmm. or chose a different way to go about yes and those killings you know whether yeah. there was one or none right those were never attributed in right. the same way yes that's another point um eric's body was shirtless and and he was close to a stream in ohio and he was not known to be homosexual he was involved with drugs and it's thought that this is how he met his killer is it like a drug deal mm-hmm. Eyewitnesses last saw him get into a van, so we've got the van again, with an unknown individual, and he had been strangled with a rope, and he had a burn mark on him. Okay. Um, I couldn't find out much about whether the police had any indication of who the killer was at this point. I couldn't, like, we got into the... Suspects. You know, suspects later. Mm -hmm. But just looking at the victims, and I did more of the victim research, you know, at this point... I don't know how much of a lead they had yet. Mm-hmm. 
right, if they had a list of names or if right. they were totally baffled still. But we will, however, get into their suspicions in part two of this case. And each death does suggest that there was some type of sexual motivation behind it. Uh, Michael Glenn was the next victim. He was 29 years old, making him the oldest so far. Mm-hmm. The oldest victim so far. He was found in a ditch in August of 1986 in Ohio in only his underwear. And it's unknown when he first went missing, um, but he was a handyman that kind of, I guess he did jobs here and there, but it doesn't sound like he had, you know, a family per se that was Mm -hmm. looking for him. Like it was noticed he was missing, but nobody really knew when. Mm -hmm. Um, He appeared to be strangled with a rope, and sadly he was not identified for three whole years. Um, So again, that tells me he didn't really have... A family life. Yeah, and it also points to the the killer. Yeah, he's targeting spe- you know specific people. He is for a reason. Well, yeah, people who he's... are less likely to be noticed. Right, that they're gone. I mean, yeah, a lot of prostitutes. Yeah, you know, gay male yeah. prostitutes rather than especially in that era. Right. You know. Right. We know the rash of serial killers mm-hmm. throughout seventies and eighties mm-hmm. Los Angeles. The most common target was black female prostitutes because. Yeah. It was less likely people would know they're gone, report them missing, or that, unfortunately, law enforcement at the time would put as much effort into those cases. Right. So I think that's probably why he chose those easy targets. Right. At this point, it seems like there would be pressure on the police to get the cases solved, and we'll discuss much more of the investigation side, as well as the remaining victims the next time. Mm -hmm. Um, But yes, unfortunately, there are many more. Yes. But so far, at least they've got they've got a van reported a few times. Right. A they white know, male van. Yes, and they know the vicinity. That's the other thing that kind of boggles me a little bit, is that they were all last seen in like a four-block radius. Mm-hmm. Don't you think that should have been scouted out a little bit? Right. should have been a, you know? a huge stakeout in that mm-hmm. area. Did we discuss James Robbins? I know oh, we no. talked about Michael Glenn. Oh, no, we didn't. I'm sorry. He wasn't identified for sorry. three years. But one more, unfortunately. One more, I'm sorry. <laughs> but we also don't want to leave anybody out. No. Um, James Robbins was the next victim and reported missing October of 1987. He had left his mom's house and he was walking to another part of Indianapolis. He was found days later, naked and strangled, and a few witnesses claimed to have seen him get into a car... But unfortunately, no one could remember the maker model accurately. I, I read that three or four people said they saw him, mm-hmm. but every single person saw a different car. Yeah. which So that doesn't help, really. I mean, you could chase down all three cars, but it, it's not as helpful as even well, two coinciding report, you know, accurate descriptions. Eyewitnesses are great, but it's really weird what... A person will remember or not remember that they've just seen. Um, I recall a situation where a guy was driving around a neighborhood, firing a gun out of his car, very intoxicated, um, having a mental health episode as well. And we, as we're looking for him, we're getting like 10 different calls. Mm -hmm. And it was a silver car. No, Mm -hmm. it's a blue car. It was a green car. It was a sedan. It was a coupe. It mm-hmm. might have been a small SUV. We got 
like eight different descriptions mm-hmm. until we finally found a little green coop with a guy mm-hmm. hanging out the window firing a gun. gun into the air. Hmm. But it was multiple colors. It was multiple types of vehicle. Yeah. Pretty sure it was a Honda. No, it was a Nissan. Yeah. And, I mean, luckily, all everything was coming from the same area, so we knew... Right. You knew where, where to, to look. look but... And vaguely what to look for. But... Right. No, it's interesting, though, what people remember and what they don't. Right. So if they got some people saying it's a van, some people saying, you know, I think it was a car, it could have been a truck. Yeah. It narrows it down, but it doesn't. Right. It still leaves it wide open. Yeah. Well, that's what I mean, that... If they had had even two people say exactly the same thing, it might have been a little more helpful. Right, but because they, start. they had several that saw him, which is great, but they all remember it differently, mm-hmm. that doesn't really provide the police with much. No. So. I think that does it for this episode, but part yes. two is coming soon, and we'll discuss, uh, unfortunately, more victims, yes. but also... Uh, suspects. Yes. And how this case ended up not exactly closed and not necessarily justice served, but I would say there is a conclusion that is generally accepted. Yeah. Yeah, I would agree. But we will get there soon. Please sign the crime scene log on the way out. Thank you for joining us. Stay safe. So... (laughs) 